The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate creative wisdom with Iona Jenkins who is an author, creative writer, and poet with an MA in education, uh, professional diplomas in person-centered counseling from Metonia Institute of London, clinical hypnotherapy and psychotherapy as well with the Institute of Clinical Hypnosis in London. So Iona is also the author of the brand new book, To Sing with Bards and Angels, A Journey into the Creative Heart. And creative indeed, I think is the key word here. Welcome, Iona. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Christy. It's really good to be here. I understand this is the third podcast interview you've ever done. It is. In fact, you know, I didn't come to technology till quite later on in life. When I was at school, calculators weren't even invented. Technology is something I've, I've been learning bit by bit, you know, since I was about 50. Oh my goodness! Well, good for you. You're you're going to be a pro before long. <laughs> uh-huh. Things are, things are getting better, and I, I'm a lot more proficient than I was ten years ago. <laughs> well, the it, equipment's better. Oh, it yeah, exactly. The equipment is better and easier to use. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the title of your book, "To Sing with Bards and Angels," has musical, mm-hmm. poetic, and mystical associations. How did you link bards and angels? Well, bards, of course, are an old druid thing. You know, um, the bards were the druid poets, artists, storytellers who used to enchant their crowds, their audiences with their tales. Um, It was kind of magical that they would open up a doorway, raise consciousness a little bit through the legends. And also it kept the legends alive and the link to the ancestors. Mm -hmm. Angels came to me through my, this came to me through Druidry. Angels came to me through my old Catholic background, I guess, which is where I first encountered them. Um, Always intrigued by them and um, wondered about them. Mm-hmm. Now, the whole thing started with this um, book to sing with bards and angels um, in Kew Gardens, I think, in London, mm-hmm. Cuba, Cuba Botanical Gardens, which is a place of conservation. 
um, where they they conserve seeds, they have a seed bank, and they do the conservation to make sure that the species are there for future generations, which is um, an amazing thing to do. And also, it's a fantastic place. It's like it's got all sorts of different rooms. You know, you can find giant redwoods in there. You can find a, um, a Japanese pagoda. You can find um, different types of um, birds, including peacocks and little pheasants. Um, it's quite incredible. You can wander around there for hours. And I became a friend of Kew Gardens. I got this membership, which enabled me to go in whenever I wanted, whenever I needed green space. And I started to think about the poetry. I've been writing poetry for years, but somehow, as soon as I linked to the green space, the poetry got thicker and faster until I was kind of filling files with it. <laughs> no, little notebooks, then files. But I never did anything with it because at the time I was working as a, a counsellor, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist. I had a full-time job and I was working evenings as well. So Kew Gardens was my weekend thing. Mm. Um, and the poetry started there and I got this impression that there was a druid with me. Now, I don't know why, but it felt like there was a druid telling me, you know, that I needed to do something with this poetry and reflections that I was writing, that all this would come into being eventually, that the information would come for me to put it together. Then some Italians moved in next door. They were attached to the Italian embassy and um, they were military attaches and I became friends uh, really good friends with them. And eventually when they left and went back to Rome, um, they invited us over. So we went to stay at their house in Lazio. And um, I spent the day sightseeing in Rome. I went into St. Peter's. Now, you know, I wasn't sure about St. Peter's and, and the, the bulk of St. Peter's is, is kind of very impersonal unless you go into the Vatican Museum. But in the Vatican Museum, there was the most incredible art, and especially in the Sistine Chapel. I'm standing under all these panels on the ceiling that have been painted by Michelangelo. And, you know, they've been restored because obviously he painted them a long time ago. The colours have been restored. And maybe it's because he was a sculptor, but it felt like the ceiling was alive and the figures were hanging off the ceiling and they were almost 3D. Mm. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, this is incredible creativity. You know, that the, the artists used to paint for religion at the time because that's what there was. That those were the people who could pay them. But I'm sure he must have been divinely inspired because it's the most incredible thing. And I'm sitting there thinking, looking at the central panel of God reaching out to Adam and thinking, wow, what a transmission of power. And it's coming through this artist's brushstrokes. Now, what is it? Now, it's not what they're telling me in church, you know, that that I'm committing sins and I have to go and, and to confession and I, I have to do, I have to repent and do penance. It's something else. It's something joyful, really joyful. And then I, I went down into St. Peter's and saw the statue of La Pieta, 
and it's it's the carving Michelangelo made of the Madonna holding the dead Christ and the chiseling to perfection of every little muscle, every sinew, every bone, and the expression on her face. And I'm thinking, this is a compassionate mother who cradles us right through our lives. You know, and maybe she's there at our death and she takes us through. And it was really beautiful. And then there were lots of other angel statues besides. And then eventually I went back to Lazio on the uh, on the train and I'm sitting outside with my notebook in the afternoon sunshine it was October and the trees were covered in lemons in gardens you know they were hanging abundant with lemons and I sat down I got out my notebook the mountains were in the distance behind me and I'm starting to think about the Vatican again and the, the, the Sistine Chapel and the angel statues and, and the paintings. And suddenly it was as if um, the nature, the lemon trees, the sunshine, the earth, the mountains mingled in with all the images I'd had during the day. And I kept thinking, this is inspiration. This is a language of angels. And I sat down, I got my notebook, and I wrote a poem called The Language of Angels. And that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And I took the poem home and um, left it for a while. And then it wasn't until we came to Wales that I put the bards with the angels. I joined the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids and did all their courses because I thought it would be nice to go through those different courses and find out what all that was about. So I did that and became a druid, but I'm still into the angels <laughs> because you don't, it's not a religion and you don't, you know, you, you can think about anything you want. You can be part of any faith you like and still do druidry. It doesn't matter because it basically connects us to the earth. Um, it connects us to the universe. Um, it doesn't alter your faith and it doesn't alter your imagery if you don't want it to. Right. So, yeah. So, I've got this together now and I'm thinking I'll do a full moon meditation. It's February and there's a beautiful moon. Now I live in a small apartment in Wales and it's on a cliff and just below the cliff, the sea and the sea divide. It's called the Bristol Channel, which um, in Welsh is Merhavran and it divides England and Wales. If you go over the water, 20 minutes as the crow flies, you end up in Somerset, which is in England. Um, And that's where um, the King Arthur legends are situated. You know, there's, well, they're all over the country, but there's a particular one in in Glastonbury in Somerset. So um, that's all coming together there and the moon shining on the water. And I start to do a meditation. And while I'm in the meditation, I get an image in my forehead of an angel, or I call it an angel. It's a very tall being and it's it's kind of pearly white, same color as the moonlight. Mm-hmm. And it's got color around it. I call it he, but you know, there was a feminine quality about it as well. So maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't a he, maybe it's just an angel and it doesn't have a gender, but 
he decided he was all right to be he for, for my purposes. <laughs> and I'm calling this an angel. And I can actually then, because I can see it inside me, I can actually sort of envisage it on the path of moonlight on the sea. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is incredible. And I get the idea in my head that the angel, angel wants to be my creative wisdom. Mm -hmm. I can create from a wise place by tapping into this energy that I'm getting from the moonlight, which has a feminine feel, but it also brings in information. So it's not just information, it's wise information. <laughs> and I'm, I'm starting to think, well, what do I do with this? You know, it's incredible. So I pick up my pen, I think, I'll talk to it and I'll write a conversation. So I, I'm not actually hearing voices. What, what's happening is I'm thinking up a question in my mind and the answer's just dropping in and I'm writing it down. And it came out as a conversation between me and the angel on the full moon. Oh, my goodness. And in this book, there are five such conversations. Yes. And then since then, I've written 12 more. Since I finished this book and had it published, I've written 12 more. So I'm still writing these conversations. Um, and then around that, I started to build um, on experiences I'd had, places I'd been, tap into sacred places, tap into the earth, try to show how I tap into the earth help other people to do that by giving them little exercises that they can do if they want to, um, to go out in nature and start to connect. Uh, because once you can connect to the earth, you connect to the sky, you connect to the universe, things start to happen. You know, it's, it's magical. And most people don't step into the magic. They think that a lot of people think that we're separate to our planet. When in actual fact, our bodies are part of the ecosystem. Absolutely. And by ignoring that, we're missing something. And actually, by doing that, it makes us more healthy. Now, my husband was very ill when we first came here. And he recovered. And although he still has some health problems, this place helped him to recover. I think that just from tapping into the energy outside in the sea, probably... Probably. As well as well as his hospital appointments, but you know we didn't ignore those. Um, but I think the energy was good for him, and it's certainly been good for me. And every time I want to connect, I open that door, I go out onto my little balcony that overlooks the water, and any time of day, the landscape changes, the light changes, the clouds move, different colours at different times of day, the sunrise sometimes. You know, I go out in the sunrise if I'm awake, um, the sun at noon, the sunset, the, the twilight time when the twilight time, which is a particular magical time when the door seems to open. So what I'm trying to do um, in to sing with bards and angels is to give people an opportunity, an idea that they might be able to tap into their own spiritually creative source the source of creation, the, the inspiration, which the Druids called Awen, which is pronounced Awen, and you can sing it. Really? Awen, yeah. Do you want me to say it? Please. Awen. 
Oh, my goodness. Yes, it's it, a chant. Yes. And if you have a group of people singing that, oh. normally we sing it three times. It's quite amazing. Mm. And it, it translates as flowing spirit. Mm -hmm. um, it's the Holy Spirit of the Druids, the mm. creative spirit. Um, and my angel, working through the moon, seems to come to me through the sacred feminine mm -hmm. to bring the wisdom. Because, you know, we've all had, well, a lot of us have had educations that has given us a lot of information, but not necessarily wisdom to go with it. <laughs> um, because that seems to come from our experience mm -hmm. rather than from a book. You can get as much knowledge or information as you like, but it's the experience, the connection to the planet and to the universe that actually brings the wisdom. And I think that has a feminine quality. Yes, it does. Uh, and you mentioned this this angel a couple of times. Is this um, Asteriel? Am I saying this correctly? Asteriel. I didn't get his name until about chapter 17 of that book, yes. to Sing with Bards and Angels. Chapter 17, I got the name. I did a, a meditation on a garden at the heart of the universe suddenly found myself transported into this garden by sitting on the balcony meditating. And that was a nice day. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the garden, the wind was blowing through the apple boughs and I got the name on the wind. Oh. And, and so he has a name now. Mm -hmm. It was a lovely name and they don't always have names. He seems to be connected to, to the stars in some way. I haven't found out all about him yet. I'm still working with it. I'm still finding out about it. I'm sure there's a, you know, a following book. I'm halfway through something that could be a following book as I find out more. But I have to, I have to do the meditations to actually get the next little bit. Um, they've been through the moon, but I'm starting to get more answers, answers all the time. Just by going out in nature, by being in trees, I can get answers from trees. You connect to a rock. You can ask a question, find the answer. Just It's the connection. And it's that connection that, that brings the wisdom through us. Mm -hmm. Without the connection, without the grounding, we're kind of floating about, which is why it's easy, you know, meditating to become very ungrounded actually um, using the earth we live on mm -hmm. we can feel very at home on the planet and still have these amazing experiences so what type of wisdom or messages does Asteriel bring well it depends what I ask him really you know it, it depends what I'm talking about um, obviously um, at the moment what I'm writing about we've been going through a lot of problems with covid with the war in Ukraine and I've been asking questions around that and sort of getting instructions to stay in a calm place that with all that going around it's like sitting in the center of a cyclone um, and we've had terrible economic problems here you know it, it's been a nightmare really but to stay in the center and actually um, radiate wellness if you like Yes. <laughs> radiate peace um, to find that peaceful place 
and radiate it because the on, that's the only thing you can do to help the world, that we can't go out and do anything individually, right. but we can cultivate that quiet place where we can actually put that out into the world or we can join up with other people to put that out in the world. Yeah. And the more we do that, the more we can shine light. Um, it, you know, it's something to do to sort of say, well, I'm not useless. I've right. got this spiritual way of doing it. Which is actually quite powerful, especially when we all come together. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not limited to any any age. Um, I have a group with an 18-year-old in it, um, a 30-year-old, um, one of 57, and another one of in the 60s, and I'm 73. Um, we can all come together and, and radiate this if we want to. Right, right. And we powerful. Mm -hmm. Find a grove of trees to, to actually sit and work on a season. Mm-hmm. And you've actually done the course of study to become and be versed in the Druid uh, lineage, the, the, yes. the, I suppose you could call it. So what is it that sets these, sets the Druid lineage apart? What is it that makes that, makes it Druid? Well, to start off with the Bards, the first course is a Bardic Rage. Mm. Um where you look you look at the legends around the bards you, you start to work with creative force you start to work with the four directions in the seasons and your senses and um, developing senses so that you can actually connect more strongly and, and get more inspiration um, that particular course is about developing innate creativity the second course the ovates is actually about uh, developing um, more psychic abilities, if you like, um, divination, mm -hmm. prophecy, um, healing. And the third course, the Druid, is about developing um, more willpower, peacemaking, negotiation, um, being able to put things out into the world um, that you actually are working with rather than just keeping them to yourself. Um, yeah, so I did. I did the three things, uh, the three courses, um, and now I finished those. But I'm still I'm working on my writing as a way of putting things out in the world. That's how I express myself. Um, it's not too strenuous at my time of life. Um, I don't have to run up the Himalayas anymore. I can actually, you know, go to the local park. I can go somewhere in Wales and take a car drive to Somerset. Or I can get on a plane and go to Italy. That's not too strenuous either. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's, it, it's kind of looking at where you are, being in the present, and then still working with what you've got to work with. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive.
Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a co-worker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And your tradition that you were brought up in, you said was Catholic? It was Catholic. Um, it was an Irish Catholic background, if you like. My father wasn't Irish. Um, my father was a coal miner who eventually became, um, eventually came up to the top and he became a ventilation officer mm-hmm. uh, from doing some exams. His father before him was a coal miner. And then my great-grandfather was Irish. He came over to, um, to, to seek work. Um, in the 1890s, so long ago, married an Englishwoman and settled. Um, but unfortunately, having left the land, had to work through the harshness of being a coal miner. So he left the top, you know, the surface to be in the dark. Uh, but the thing they all had was a singing voice, you know, which they, they passed down um, from grand, great-grandfather to grandfather, um, to my father and then through to me so uh, you know it still goes on yes yes oh my goodness so how does a coal miner's daughter become a poet and a psychotherapist as well as a hypnotherapist well we were quite lucky in my day in that um I had a good primary school in a in a village mm-hmm. and being a bright child, I got to go to a grammar school at the end of it. Now, grammar schools um, were, were, were run by the state. There were two-tier education, which wasn't very fair. But for me, if I hadn't had that, I would never have had a higher education. Um, so I went to a grammar school and I, I got the exams from there. Um, and then I went on to teach a training college. Um, I didn't go to a university in the initial stages because my mother thought it would be good if I became a private secretary or personal assistant at that time. So I learned shorthand and typing and I did a course in business studies instead of doing the standard A-levels. And then I worked at the Branch College of Building in the holidays and I thought, I can't stand this. This is awful. I can't sit at this typewriter all day just typing letters. 
I'm going to have to do something else. And I went to my mother and I argued my case for a long time. Uh, I can't go to university now because I haven't done the right exam. So can I go to teach a training college? And eventually they said yes. So I applied to a teacher training college in County Durham. Um, and I went there for three years. My college sent me to France because I was doing studying French. And um, I had six months in a French university, which, you know, really upped my fluency. Um, and I taught French for 26 years after that. <laughs> first, yeah. first in Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. and, and then after a marriage breakup and a, a few terrible years, I actually decided I'd have to leave. A, a clairvoyant friend said to me, if you don't get rid of this house and go, nothing new will ever happen to you. <laughs> so I sold my house and I applied for a job with a private schools agency. Um, and I got an interview and they said to me, where do you want to go? And I said, well, anywhere really, apart from this county I'm living in. And the next thing I know, I've got an interview in a, a school just on the outskirts of London, you know, with a living job as a house mistress, looking after the boarding house and teaching some French. Oh. So that's how I went to London. Yes. Um, then I met my um, second husband um, and we got married. And of course, I couldn't live in then. So um, I went back to teaching in state schools and taught French for a, a while there, for about another nine years, and retrained um, as a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, because um, I, was, I was mentoring PGCE students, which are trainee teachers at the, at the local Brunel University. They were coming into school, and I was doing the mentoring for my department. And... Um, Whilst I was doing that and it, as an MA module, it worked out that I thought, well, I'd really like to work in this kind of industry. You know, I've been teaching a long time and I'd really like to do this instead. So I decided I'd do that and, and got into some more courses to go along with it and um, eventually became um, a school counsellor for three days a week um, with the Children's Society, um, with adolescents, and developed a private practice. Um, the hypnotherapy came from the Isle of Iona, which is also where my name came from. Oh, yes. Um, it's in the Scottish Islands. It's in the Inner Hebrides. So I went to the Isle of Iona, and watching the sunset, I got this idea that I could heal with words. Mm in the sunset and um, then I, I took a course in hypnotherapy and added that to my practice which then started to really take off with the hypnosis and um, so eventually I developed a two-day practice um, with quite a lot of um, appointments in the evening as well and three full days in, in a school with adolescents who were, you know, in various types of crisis. And that went on for, you know, about 13, 14 years. And then um, my husband um, became ill and he lost his work. And we decided rather than struggle to pay the big bills in London on our house, 
that we would go back to Wales where he came from. Mm. And we sold up and we moved down here. Mm -hmm. um, paid off everything and moved down here and bought this flat instead. Downsized and bought this flat. And since then, we haven't looked back really. And I became a writer. I, I was too exhausted to start start the practice again or to start looking for jobs because I knew I wouldn't get them over 60. And I thought, well, you know, if I start the practice, I, I haven't got enough space here. I'm going to have to go rent rooms, start from the beginning again. And I thought, well, no, I could actually, I've got a pension. I could actually write these books that I've been putting on hold for so many years. And that's how the whole thing started. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. since then, I've been writing. My husband got better. And um, we've had a more relaxed life. Mm. That makes all of the difference, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It, it, it's, been, it's been a long road. It hasn't been an easy road. Mm -hmm. But if, I, if it had been an easy road, I wouldn't be who I am now. Right. Well, in fact, I mean... The book is a quest to find and work with a creative spirit, but all of the quests that we read about, all of the epic novels that we read that include quests have challenges in them along the way. They do. They absolutely do. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have a, an epic story without its challenges. So how did you deal with these challenges? I mean, it sounds like you had some fairly significant setbacks, but yet, yet you carried on. How did you do that? Well, before I left Yorkshire, um, I was practically falling apart, you know, mm. sort of thinking, you know, why did why did all this happen to me? What am I going to do next? I was dissatisfied with my job. What can I do? And then just help from a friend. Somebody or something comes along and prompts you somehow where she said, you've got to do something about selling this house and moving on because nothing's going to happen. That was the first thing. That's how I overcame that challenge. And then finding a new job. Um, and then when the big challenge came up later, you know, if having to say, well, I can't have this anymore. What am I going to do instead? I just thought, well, you know, my life experience tells me that when you meet the challenge, it's all right. So I met the challenge and we moved. And then during the writing of the book, we had COVID, didn't we? So we had massive lockdown. <laughs> the one good thing was there was no pollution in town and you could walk around, you know, freely and it, the air was clean and it was lovely. Um, but it, it was restricting because they locked all the parks so I couldn't go into the greenery. Oh, so yeah. I had to just deal with greenery in people's gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to just connect to the town in that way. Right. Yeah, we all adjusted, didn't we? We did. Different yeah. ways to do the things that we wanted to do. We just we absolutely. To, but we just had to improvise and be creative, be be creative and be flexible. Well, I thought my world's got small, um, but in this small world, I can still connect. The sky's still up there. The sea's still down there. And there are still things falling over garden walls that I can tune into. Yes, absolutely. It's I mean, it's all still there. It's just rearranged in a new and mm. different way to us. Mm. 
Now, in your book, um, you know, it's, it has a, a decisively Druidic, Celtic influence, but how does it relate to people from different cultures and different spiritual backgrounds who are not from the Celtic or Druidic uh, lineage? Well, I, I base my ethos on the ethos of Chalice Well, um, which is a, a, a garden, a sacred site in the town of Glastonbury in England. Mm-hmm. And the ethos of Chalice Well is one, is one source, many paths. Mm-hmm. So we can all relate to the source, whatever path we're on. And I think it's very good for people who have been displaced to try to connect to the spirit of place. They'll still get their own image. The artwork will be different. You know, they'll still get their own images. They'll still get their own concepts. But the land will inspire them just the same. Now, the land doesn't expect you to be a Druid or to be Celtic. Really? You know, you, you can just um, connect regardless. Mm-hmm. I have an Indian friend who's been here for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, she has a garden in London. And she has the most incredible green fingers. And she's really connected to the land here. She actually can grow Indian marigolds alongside tomato plants and all the sort of stuff you can grow, you know, in an English, um, on an English vegetable farm, if you like, or vegetable garden. She can grow all that stuff and it's abundant. She can grow Indian marigolds in profusion I once gave her a jasmine plant and it's now all over the fence. She's connected. And she and I, she's a Sikh, and she and I are really good friends and have been for years. Um, we, we met in a school because she used to teach Asian languages. So we've been connected for years. She, um, she doesn't have any prejudice herself about other religions. Mm-hmm. She speaks English, she speaks Hindi, she speaks Punjabi, and she can speak Urdu. Um, she doesn't have any prejudice. She's connected to the land here, but she's still got her own symbolism. And we can work in either one. I can relate to her Sikh symbols. I can go to the Sikh temple with her. She can sit in a church. We can sit together in a garden and relate to whatever's going on in the garden. Anybody can connect. And I, you know, I strongly advise anybody who's been displaced to connect to the ground and the land that they've moved to. Um, they won't lose their culture, but they will gain energy from the ground to be able to get over the problems and to be able to carry on. So I'm speaking to anybody who wants to live a creative spiritual life. It doesn't have to be a Druid creative life. It can come from any religious source they like or none. Mm-hmm. And what are the gifts or the blessings of living a creative life? Um, it's synchronicity. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main things, you know, is that things seem to link. It, life seems to flow more smoothly like a river mm-hmm. and it flows over the obstacles one thing links to another 
Right. Right. And it truly doesn't matter what religious or spiritual tradition you come from, because they all are so intertwined and so interlinked. That's true. One, one source, many paths. One source, many paths. Yes. Now, um, you've written other books as well. Can you tell me about those? I've written other books, but I, this is the first one I've ever had published. To Sing with Bards and Angels, actually got a publisher. Oh. The others are self-published. I have two books of poems and reflections that, yeah. you know, some of those things I'd filed, I put into books and published on Amazon. Yeah. And then I wrote three novels for children that are, uh, well, adolescents that are quite mystical. Um, and, and they do have some of the ideas I've got into Sing with Bards and Angels. Um, mm -hmm. But I think maybe they were a little too mystical, you know, for any publisher. Uh, I, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to get them published. I just self-published them. But with this one, I thought, right, I, I'll have a go at a publisher. And it worked. Right. Oh, yes. The wonderful John Hunt Publishing over in England. Just That's right. Publisher. Wonderful. And it sounds like you've got another book in the works. Yes, I have. That's lovely. Going, I've, I've written 12 chapters, I think, um, which will need padding out, you know, going with the phases of the moon. Oh, why the phases of the moon? Um, because that's when Astariel always seemed to be at strongest with me. Oh, my goodness. That's why the when the inspiration seemed the strongest. So I've written 12 Astariel full moon chapters. And now I'm going to add around that um, various stories and reflections and things that I come up with. Some of them are already written and some of them are not. So mm -hmm. maybe that's going to take another six months to a year mm -hmm. to actually get into the right condition. Now, Asteriel, where do you feel like he's come from and how long do you feel like he's been with you? Um. I don't know how long he's been with me. Um, I seem to have been looked after for a long time. However bad life has got, something has happened to bring me out of it. And when I was a child, my parents had a lot of problems. Um, I used to go out in the fields with my dog. And I just wander the fields and the woods. And at eight years old, you know, Kids can't do that nowadays, but then it was it was safe in a village then. There were no phones, but everybody seemed to know where people were. People would pass you on the on a path. And then say to my, my father or mother, you know, I, I saw your daughter on so-and-so field or down by the canal or down by the stream in Knowles' field. <laughs> you know, it was like like everybody had a handle on it. Right. It, it felt. I always felt safe in nature, whatever was going on, you know, whatever terrible thing was happening in my life, whether my parents were having problems, whether I was having a problem with other kids at school, I always felt safe. And I didn't always go on my own. Sometimes there were other kids with me, but I did enjoy the time on my own with the dog. I always have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always felt that we're never truly alone because we do carry our spiritual team with us. Mm. Yeah, it feels like that. It always felt like someone was looking after me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, 
nowadays, I mean, I wouldn't tune into that then, but I would probably go and sit under a tree. I still do that now, but, you know, now I would consciously tune into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now you know who is with you and what's going on. And you know how to connect, whereas mm-hmm. yes, we might not know, but innately we kind of know as children too, that it just feels better being outside. It does. It does. And I, I think, you know, kids, especially in cities, need Yes. parks and gardens they need to go in the green mm-hmm. they need to feel that especially in deprived areas i'm all for green spaces in 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 the more deprived areas and, and the people who are putting those things there they've got every admiration for because young people need that well old people need it too but if kids can get it the younger a kid can get that the more connected they're going to be yeah, the more connected they're going to be, absolutely. And there's so yeah. many rewards in that. Yeah. Um, now I'm looking at your website now, ionajenkins.com. That's right. Quite a bit of you know, like your poetry, your reflections, your blog, mm. all about the books that you have and these this gorgeous illustration or illustrative photograph of a, a beautiful unicorn. And oh my goodness, all of these wonderful, wonderful books um, on there. Uh, is there anything we should pay particular attention to on your website? Um, the blog. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, I've spent time writing blogs and, and I write blogs from my experience. Some of, some of the later blogs are more about my book to sing with bards and angels. But prior to that, you know, I've written a lot of other things about experiences in nature and i think the, the blog is a good place to go good and you can even subscribe to the blog too which is a nice feature. um yes people can subscribe to the blog if they want to and they'll get it whenever i put them out i try to put them out monthly but sometimes it's a six weekly um but i do try to put them out as often as i can beautiful beautiful photography on on your website as well i've got to just say um so the book again is of bards and or i'm sorry to sing with bards and angels a journey into the creative heart from that's correct john hunt publishing is there anything that you feel like we haven't talked about or i haven't asked that you think is important um no i can't think of anything at the moment I think we've pretty well covered it, Christy. I think we have. Yeah. But it's just so lovely to see you and talk with you and talk about this lovely book. It really is Mm. gorgeous and very inspirational and takes us straight into nature and our creative forces. Mm. I wish you much luck with the book. Yes, it can be bought on Amazon. Um, It can be bought from Barnes & Noble, from John Hunt Publishing. Yeah, any good bookshop. So <laughs> I would, if anybody wants to do that, I always like to support the independent booksellers whenever possible. So there's uh, some wonderful independent booksellers out there too. Yes, I'm sure anybody, any independent bookseller would would um, order it for someone who wanted it. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for joining me today. Been yeah, a- I've really enjoyed it. It's been great, and maybe we can talk again sometime. 
Well, let me know when that next book is out. I'd love to see uh, what happens with this conversation with your angel. Yeah, I, I will do that, definitely. You do, yes. Wonderful. Okay, well, tell then, my friend. Thank you. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.